Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. And welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic from the business owner's or executive's perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understand where you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia, which is where we're recording today. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator, and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. So today we're going to talk about whether you as a business owner or executive should run for political office. And um, regardless, I think, of where you are in the political spectrum, if you are any place, uh, I'm not sure where I am anymore, um, uh, I, I you know, I think this is a, an increasingly important topic. I think we're seeing more people with a business background seeking office at all levels. And indeed, you know, like them or love them, uh, love them or not like them, um, you know, the current president of the United States does come from a business background. And indeed, he ran on his business background as a reason why that is the case he made that he would be a good president of of the United States, and that's something that he invokes uh, fairly regularly. And you know, it's it's not just just he that's doing that. Mike Bloomberg has recently jumped into the race. Um, there's discussion now about you know whether billionaires can buy their way to the presidency, and again, we're we're not going to talk about that um, about that particular topic. But I think there's an increasingly blurred line now between. Uh, between politics and business, and and maybe there's always been a blurred line, and and depending again where you sit, maybe it's an uncomfortably blurred line. Um, but the fact of the matter is, I think that that people who did not think that they had the stuff or the wherewithal or even the desire to run for political office, and and just sort of put themselves in the in the seat of being a business person, um, uh, now are thinking of themselves potentially in a dual role, or maybe it's even something they do with a. Uh, either uh, uh, a subsequent or intervening chapter in their lives, and um, you know, I, I, the recent statistics on this this podcast still are, are flooring to me. We're pushing about three and a half million downloads. I understand since February, chances are good at least one of you has thought about running for political office. So at least this will be interesting to one of you out there. But I think it'll be interesting to more than that. We and we actually have a director at Brady Ware and Company who is a who just uh, was elected mayor. Um, for one of the towns, I believe, out outlying uh, Dayton. He took over as mayor when the previous mayor resigned and then uh, ran and was elected in his own right. So we're, we're even seeing that inside inside the um, uh, inside our own company. So uh, in, as you know, when you listen to this podcast, we drink, we're bringing in people who actually know what they're talking about because I certainly don't. And uh, coming in to talk about this topic today are two people who are balancing uh, public service and their own careers. And so uh, joining us today is Darshan Kendrick, a five-term member of the 93rd and or 94th districts of uh, Georgia. 
uh, in the Georgia House of Representatives and is a chief deputy whip. And I say the 93rd slash 94th because I think it was the 94th district for her first term. And then thanks to redistricting, I think it then became the 93rd. So, um, But for those of you who aren't in Georgia, uh, our assembly is made up of, of 180 members, a fairly large body, uh, partially because we just have, I think, more counties than anybody uh, in the country. When not serving her constituents in this capacity, Darshan is a capital compliance lawyer dedicated to guiding black and female founders in the capital raising and investing process. She provides these services through her company, the Kendrick Advisory and Advocacy Group. She's an arbitrator of the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, or FINRA. I did not know that uh, before I was researching this podcast. And she holds a Bachelor of Arts from Oglethorpe University. I live about a mile and a half from there. Holds an MBA from Kennesaw State University and a law degree from the University of Georgia. And she's joining us by phone today, so you may hear some, you may hear some, some, some noise in the background. Uh, but those of you who are not from Georgia, we have a, we have a unique driving environment here. Um, and one of the unique features of the driving environment is that rain, particularly cold rain, will turn the streets of the greater Atlanta metropolitan area into an episode of Ice Road Truckers, basically. So, Darshan, please drive carefully as you're, as, you're, um, as you're on the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much. And I'm sorry I couldn't be in the, uh, in the office uh, or in the studio today. But as you know, we are getting ready for session, so we're trying to uh, make do with the 24 hours we get. Yeah, well, if you guys can vote a 26-hour day, I'd really appreciate that. Yeah, so would I. I'll work on that. Also joining us today is Colin Ake. Uh, Colin was elected city councilman in 2018 for the city of Woodstock, Georgia, a a municipality of southern Cherokee County with a population of just over 30,000. And and Woodstock is, uh, oh, I'm going to say about 20 miles north and west of downtown city of Atlanta, maybe a little bit farther than that. Prior to serving in that role, Colin was a, or give me some help here, was a or the planning and zoning commissioner for the city of Woodstock? I was one of, uh, one of seven. Okay, one of seven. So uh, a planning and zoning commissioner. When not serving his constituents, Colin is a principal at Georgia Tech's Venture Lab, where he serves as an instructor on innovation and entrepreneurship. Colin actively works with entrepreneurs and researchers to commercialize research, identify and secure grant funding, mentor startups, and modify and implement Georgia Tech's evidence-based entrepreneurship curricula. This includes training and evaluating other instructors in the customer development methodology employed by the i program and across Georgia Tech. Um, some point, i got to have you back to talk about that because that's an interesting program. It's one that I think is, is unique. Colin holds his bachelor's degree in management and his MBA from Georgia Tech. So regardless of any kind of political discussion here, we have somebody from the University of Georgia and somebody from Georgia Tech, and that's probably going to create more attention on this program than anything. And if you're from, you're from Alabama or Auburn or Florida, Florida State, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Colin, welcome to the program. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. Uh, and interestingly, uh, you're wearing a shirt today that has, is yellow with, uh, with black stitching on that. Is that something that you, you arranged? or Not specifically uh, because of where Darshan went to, uh, went to get her, her law degree, but it's uh, – I did pick it out. All right. So um, let, let's let's jump into it because we got a ton to cover here. So Darshan, let, let me let you go first. Um, Ten years ago, you began to serve in your in your capacity in the Georgia legislature. What motivated you to do that? Um, well, I have a, um, a very unique and interesting story. Um, so I. 
uh, essentially uh, was at the right place at the right time or the right place at the wrong time, depending on which day of the week it is. Um, I was a 27-year-old who had just gotten out of um, who had just started practicing law for a small litigation firm downtown, and um, and the law firm imploded uh, one uh, summer. And so they let everybody go. And so I had started my MBA program and, um, and I had to start my own law firm. So I actually happened to be down at the Capitol, um, because two hours before I got down there to meet with a rep on a, um, on some sort of marketing for my new firm, the person in my seat decided to run for governor. And, um, and so they were looking for people and I just so happened (laughs) to be at the Capitol meeting on an unrelated matter. Uh, I didn't even know it was qualifying. Um, and so the person I was meeting with, I had known since I was a teenager because I worked at State Capitol, and they asked me what district um, I was in. And I said, uh, House District 94, which was 94 at the time. And, um, and he said, well, we need you to run for office. And, uh, of course, I thought he was crazy because I was starting an MBA program and a new law firm. Um, but the long story short is I ended up qualifying 30 minutes before the um, qualifying ended. So I, I, I actually went from a private citizen to a full-blown candidate unexpectedly overnight. Um, so I wish I had a better inspirational story about how I worked hard and I planned um, to be in this position. But uh, that is the true story of how it happened. But I ultimately decided to say yes because I knew I eventually wanted to run for the state house. I just thought it was going to be, you know, sort of uh, when I had a, a more stable career, when I was older, maybe with a family. Um, but I decided to say yes because, um, you know, I grew up in DeKalb County and I represent DeKalb County. Um, I knew that I was uh, more qualified than the people that, that were want, uh, running. I already had tremendous support before I even signed the qualification document, so I knew that I could do it. Um, and even though it came unexpectedly and it came fast, um, I have had a pleasure of serving 54,000 horses ever since. Okay. Well, you know, I, and I have a feeling there are probably other stories that are kind of, that are, are kind of like that. Um, but, um, Colin, how, how about you? What's your story? Did you also sort of fall into public service that way? Or has that been more of a longer term ambition of yours? No, I kind of fell into it. Um, I grew up in Woodstock, uh, and Woodstock has, uh, changed a lot. Um, it has grown, uh, massively in the last couple of decades and really become a place that, um, is, uh, much different than where I grew up. Uh, my wife and I moved back to Woodstock in 2013, and I got involved in a local uh, nonprofit focused on building a trail system um, just because I want to be able to raise a family somewhere where there was a good outdoor recreational opportunity. And um, from there, uh, I got asked one day to, to serve on the Planning and Zoning Commission, which was not on my radar, not something I'd been to. Not something I was involved in. Did you know anything about planning and zoning? I did not know anything about planning and zoning. Um, but I love learning new things. And so I dove in and, and had a lot of fun over uh, the course of about a year and a half. Um, planning and zoning in the state of Georgia, most bodies are recommending bodies. In other words, they're appointed by mayor and city council, but they recommend decisions. And then the mayor and city council make a final decision. And after about a year and a half of seeing recommendations uh, go one way or the other and uh, 
city council listened to some of them and not listened to others, uh, I decided, well, it, it might be time to, uh, to make this vote count if I'm spending the time on it. Like, like the Christmas song goes, if you're so smart, you were got the lights, right? Something like that. So if, uh, so let, let's go, go, uh, go into that then. Your first election, talk, talk about what running in your first election was like. You, yeah. Yeah, uh, so for my, my first election was, um, was an experience. So I ran against an incumbent that was first elected um, and hadn't been in office continuously, but was first elected in the year 1990. Wow. So 2017, I'm running against a guy who has been in office in and out um, a couple of times, but uh, for, for a while. Um, nice guy, uh, but I just I, I wanted a shot. So uh, I qualified and, and started running. Somebody else also qualified, so I had a three-way race. Um, and that was, uh, uh, that was quite the experience. It's a lot of door knocking. It's a lot of talking to people. It's a lot of time. Um, it is a great experience. You know, I, I teach this entrepreneurship stuff at Georgia Tech, right? We teach researchers to go talk to customers and actually understand the people. I mean, knocking on doors is all that, right? It is yeah. essentially. I hadn't thought there about that. It, That's right. You are you are learning about your um your constituents or potential constituents at this point, and what do they care about? Why do they care about those things? Um, and it's a lot of fun, uh, but it's a lot of work. You wear through some shoes. And, uh, it, it was a, it was a good time. Um, I, uh, I was fortunate enough to avoid a runoff. Um, I won outright. I was a little surprised. I didn't even, you know, I know a lot of people do these, uh, you know, victory parties. I didn't do any of that. I was just ready to have, uh, I was ready to find out who I was going to be against in the runoff. <laughs> and, uh, I had about four people at my house and, uh, it, it turned out okay. Well, no, knowing you, that sounds about right though. You're kind of a low key guy. So I don't see you as a victory lap guy. Um, Darshan, how about how about you? I mean, I know you 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 sort of were an overnight qualification story, but um, what was that first election like? Were, were you opposed? I was. So I had uh, four other four other people. Um, and my my district was probably Democratic, obviously I wasn't worried about the general. But the uh, but I did have four other people in the in the primary. Uh, somebody who was very active in the Democratic Party. Um, somebody who had ran for the three times before, and then somebody who was very, very uh, active and well supported in uh, Rockville. Um, so I was the youngest, and um, and so you know people every time the media printed something, they just asked it that I was 27 years old uh, for whatever reason. But um, but I not you know not to doors. Uh, I have been involved in politics since I was 18, so I knew how to run run a, run a campaign. Um, and so I tried to knock on primary voters' doors at least three times. Um, that's when the primary was in live. It wasn't in vain like it is now. Um, so it was a it was a long hot summer, <laughs> a very long and hot summer. Um, and I you know didn't quite know why, how I was able to uh, start a law firm while knocking on doors. I still don't quite understand how I did that. Well, let's 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 in fact talk about that because you know one of the things that yeah you know, that draws me to this conversation is um, you know. Where where does running for office intersect with business, right? And and both of you have have a in your case uh, 
you have a business and Colin has, you know, a career, um, you know, and, and neither of your posts generally pay enough to, they're not designed to have you be a career politician in, in that respect. But I'm curious, as you were knocking on doors, do you think that that actually helped you kind of understand your market better? Darshan. Um, I, you know, I think it helped me not only to understand my market better, but just to uh, broaden my understanding of, of just opinions and the, the issues facing Georgians in general. Um, when when I first ran for office, I represented DeKalb and Rockdale County. And uh, in Rockdale County and DeKalb County have very, very active chambers of commerce. Um, and so, you know, on the campaign trail, obviously, I would engage with, uh, with those two groups. But, but it helped me uh, that I did have a, a business uh, background to sort of, I think, connect with people um, on the campaign trail as we as, as they were more business-centered. Um, and I am a few more than I would like about uh, being one of the more pro-business uh, uh, Democrats. So, but I think it, it, it served me well because um, I, I am able to understand sort of the base of my party, which is labor, and balance that with um, the people that I represent, which are obviously founders. So I definitely learned a lot about that, that, that market, but a, a, around uh, Georgia issues as well. It was, it was a really great opportunity to get these people and hear different views. I, I really enjoyed the campaign. It was long and hard. But, uh, but I learned a lot. So, so Colin, my next question is for you is, you know, as you were preparing to run, have you had professional mentors or advisors in your life that maybe, you know, have helped you along the way to get to where you've been professionally? Did you also rely on them as you contemplated this, this political step? And if so, were they helpful? If not, then where did you kind of find that expertise? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so, you know, I tend to be the student of, of wherever, you know, whatever world I'm going into. Uh, I work with a bunch of different entrepreneurs from a bunch of different backgrounds and a bunch of different industries, right? And so that's taught me to take advice from the people who have experienced something before um, and, and go find people that, that can share something with me that, you know, is based off that experience. Um, I certainly had conversations with business mentors or people that I work with previously um, about running for office and got encouragement to do so. But of course, you know, if you've not run a campaign, you generally go, well, but I've never run a campaign. And that's kind of the, you know, where, where that stops. Um, I had a, um, uh, some help from some friends that had experienced parsing data um, and find someone that they can parse data well and go grab some voter data. And it's, uh, you know, data is data. You got to know what you're looking for, but uh, once you know what you're looking for, it's fairly easy to to pull together a strategy. Well, and, and I mean, indeed, I've I've heard that that superior command of data was a big factor in enabling the president to win in 2016. Right? Yeah. It wasn't whether it's was a better candidate or not, but his but but a lot of there was a lot of analysis, and I think there's some truth to this that that he he and his team just paid more attention and just did better with parsing data. My, my experience has been that the data certainly gives you an edge um, and it helps inform whatever strategy you're developing as a team. It depends on, I mean, dramatically different to run for president than it is to run for city council sure. in the city of Woodstock. Um, 
it's really easy to not even, I mean, for the small business owners that are out there that are thinking about getting involved in local government um, at either the local or the county or the state level, um, it's really easy to not even be, you know, you don't have to be a presidential level data parser to make a difference in a small race. Yeah. Well, and in fact, there was, there is a, um, interestingly enough, there was one of these rare cases where a, a meaningful office was won by one vote, a Boston city council office after their fourth recount was just decided by one vote with over 70,000 votes involved. So it's fairly narrow uh, and we'll see. I mean, there's probably gonna be a lawsuit too. one vote, uh, you know, you got to believe that's going to be challenged, I would think. But still, it's hanging it, chads somewhere. Yeah, still, 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 it does happen. So, <laughs> Darshan, how, how how about you? It's I I suspect, but you tell me. I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Um, what about your what about your mentors and advisors? Have they been the same for you along the way in business as in politics, or have you found that they've been different? Um. So my uh, sort of mentors. Uh, in business have always been my parents. So I grew up in an entrepreneurial household, which is why I love business owners, and specifically minority um, female founders and black-owned founders um, share sort of the, the challenges that they went through. Um, so, my, so my parents have, have taught me a lot about, um, about business. And, um, you know, I, I, I have people that I sort of uh, look up to. I wouldn't say that I have a formal mentorship with anyone, and that's probably because, believe it or not, I'm extremely introverted. Um, so, you know, I just have not had an opportunity to ask somebody to do that mentorship. But, um, but I am um, because one of the things that I'm adding to my consulting firm is um, uh, I, I just recently got a series of five like investment advisors. So I am intentional about seeking out um, particular mentors who have been in the space for a very, very long time with that aspect of it. But um, political-wise, um, you know, I I value, as a, as a politician, I value among anything else, partisanship and, and anything like that, is people who are consistent in their beliefs and that are true. So one of the reasons that one of my best friends is a two-partier is because we are very, very truthful with one another and um, and because all above all else, um, we are very consistent in our beliefs. So, uh, for me, you know, I will look up to or admire anybody in the political world that is consistent in their beliefs and is truthful about So, You've been in public service now for for a decade, um, really remarkable, um, and which means you've you've won five elections again. Remarkable. Um, how, how have you found that's impacted your your legal practice and your consulting practice? Um, well, so obviously in the beginning, since I was an overnight candidate, I, I wasn't prepared. <laughs> From my from a law firm perspective, I wasn't prepared uh, to be a full blown candidate, so I think that was the hardest time because I didn't have the preparation. I literally went from a private citizen to a full blown candidate overnight. Um, so those early years were very very rough. Um, I 
done a very good job these days of managing it. Um, and so one of the things that I, I do, particularly during this upcoming legislative session, um, is I'm very, very good about saying no. Um, obviously, I have about 31,000 uh, followers on LinkedIn. And everybody you know, wants to pick my brain or hear this story or, or get advice about this, and I just can't do this. So I'm very good about saying no. Um, but the other thing is I try to focus on policies um, that I have an expertise in, which is capital raising, security work, investment um, uh, strategies, and things like that. So it just it makes it it makes the work uh, a little uh, not only more fun, more engaging, but a little easier to get past the learning curve. So you're not spending as much time on it if you focus on things that you're really good really at. So over the years, I've been able to um, to really find that find that balance. And um, and I think it, it serves not only me well, but the state of Georgia well to have somebody who focuses on policies that is also a part of their day job. Um, and Colin, how about how about you? You haven't been in service quite as long, but you've, it's certainly long enough to have an impact. How have you found that's impacted your career? Yeah, it's a. Um, I... It's got a time impact for sure. Um, you know, juggling multiple responsibilities is a challenge. You have to be very good about saying no. And you're moon, you're moonlighting. Um, Both of you are basically and, moonlighting. Well, when it comes and, and, down to it. You know, it's the the there's beauty and there's challenge in citizen legislature and in citizen governance. Um, but there's there's balance that comes from having those multiple perspectives and experience. You have to find things that are. Uh, important to you and prioritize them. You have to say no to a lot of things. People ask me what my hobbies are. My hobby is, is serving the citizens. It's, it's, you know, there are no other hobbies. I've got a family, I've got a, a real job and I've got a, uh, an elected office and that's, that's the majority of my time. Um, so, it, you know, it, it changes things because it gives you different perspectives uh, on life. Um, you know, I, we don't manage a budget anywhere near the size that Darshan deals with. Uh, this is, you know, at the the city level, it's a much smaller world. Um, you know, our form of government, we have uh, a city manager that's full time, essentially the CEO, uh, and we act as you know, kind of a, a part time board. Um, but there are infinite subjects at any point in time you can go learn a lot about. Right? There are people who have built their careers off of public safety response, out of public works, out of uh, community development. And to be a student of each of those games, enough where you're informed, but not enough where you're um, you know, unable to focus on other things is, is, you know, you just have to juggle it. So a question I want to ask both of you, I'll, I'll give Colin a uh, first crack at this, is there's what I would call a romantic notion out there. And, and I used to have this. I, I've, I've moved away from this view myself. Um, but there's a romantic notion that um, if you could just run government the way you'd run a private business, everything would just be hunky-dory. Um, and I'm not sure that our, our, our attempts to do that have worked out well, but I'm willing to be educated otherwise. Colin, in, in your experience, is that a realistic is that a realistic expectation? Is it partially realistic? Where do you kind of come down on that? I'm going to, I'm going to say, and I am making up an answer on the spot here. I think it depends on the level of government. Um, local government, small municipality is dramatically different from large municipality is dramatically different from county government mm. and dramatically different from, from state government, um, which 
none of that, you know, is nearly as complex as the federal government. Um, when you're in a small municipality or, you know, we're, we're just over 30,000 people, um, it's growing fast. There are elements that certainly translate. Um, you have HR challenges, you have budget challenges. Um, so there's elements that translate. I don't think it's necessarily the same, right? Because you're dealing with a lot of things like social contracts between neighbors and zoning issues um, that that are really personal for people um, and really come down to, you know, interpretation of and belief in basic rights and principles. And so it's there's elements that translate. There's elements that don't translate, um, even at the local level. But I, I don't know if at the local level there's more of it uh, or less of it. What's your, your thought, Darshan? Darshan, where do you come down on this? Yeah, so it's interesting. I just had finished uh, going to uh, a retreat with the Technology Association in Georgia, and my colleague, Todd Jones, does a lot of technology work. He said, um, when he first got elected, which was uh, last year, he said, I had the misconception that uh, government is going to run like a business. And boy, did I get a big surprise. Um, and I think that that is um, right in that the, the the problem with running government like a business is that their end goal is, is different, right? So for businesses, me representing uh, corporations like I do, their their first responsibility is is to shareholder, which is to make profit, right? That is that's the end goal. That is the fiduciary duty that a board has. Um, with government, obviously, it's very very different. The, the end goal is to uphold constitution and do things um, that are. Uh, for the public safety and welfare uh, of its citizens. So I think you, um, to call this point, you are going to have um, some, you know, some, some times when it works well, like under Georgia, we have a $26 billion budget and we are not allowed to uh, print money or borrow money like the federal government is. So every year we have to balance our budget like I suspect that most businesses have to. Um, but at the but at the same time, um, you know, when you're making those uh, those various cuts and things, they, the, the priorities are going to be very very different because it is a government entity as opposed to it being just like a private you know, that's an interesting point. I want to kind of underscore something you know, that in terms of that capacity to borrow. And in, in fact, most private businesses can borrow at some point, right? Even if you're a, a sole practitioner. You could put a $20,000 Mac Pro on your credit card if you wanted to. I'm not sure what you'd do with it, but you could, you could, you could certainly do that. Whereas, you know, as you said, if you're not in the federal government, generally speaking, there, there is no borrowing capacity. You either, you, you, you balance the budget, end of discussion, or you just run out of money. Yeah, and that's, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's one of the things that obviously, you know, can really kind of grapple with this upcoming conversation that then, um, has some patients that's going to be different than if I was having a conversation with a board that I represented. So, um, has there been at some point, or Darshana, were you concerned about there being a negative impact in your business? I mean, we're, you know, we're, we're taught, that we should be not discussing politics and business. And generally speaking for me, except with some very close business associates, 
I don't entertain that discussion. You can't avoid that because you are out there and you got bumper stickers and you got signs on people's on people's you know house corners and so forth. You know, have there been points at which you know maybe that's negatively impacted your business because there are people who look at you as a Democrat and they say, you know what, I'm just not going to do business with a Democrat. End of discussion. Uh, yeah, that's that's very possible. Nobody, you know, I don't have any empirical data that somebody has said that. Um, but two things to your point. So the first thing is I am um, an oddball in that I am not one of those people that think that we shouldn't discuss politics. I think one of the reasons we can get polarized is because we don't have those hard discussions at dinner room tables. Um, so I am um, free and open to people discussing politics at my social events, while they're at the dinner table. Um, so I am probably an anomaly in that I think it's having the opposite effect that we're not discussing politics. It has taught me to be more tolerant of other people's opinions. And so I just think holding it up doesn't serve anybody. Um, so I'm different in my belief in that respect. But the second thing is, uh, as I mentioned before, I, I tend to be one get criticized from both sides, um, but particularly from Democrats, um, because I do understand and relate to business owners um, and founders more than I do um, you know, sort of the, the, the underlying labor movement. Um, and that's not to say that, um, you know, I'm against labor or anything like that. It's just I, I bring a different perspective. And um, and so I think knowing that and because of the things that I do as far as policy and collaboration um, and, things, and things like that, um, people might know that I'm a Democrat, but when it comes to business, particularly when it comes to technology, um, related fields, people um, are more willing to keep past the deep because um, because of my my support of, of businesses in the past. So let me let me switch gears here because I think this is an this is an important question, and somebody somebody out there is thinking about this question. I guarantee it. And that question is this, um, Colin. Let me let me put it to you first. Um, Somebody's thinking, wow, if I, if I could just run for office, that would really help raise my profile. What a great resume builder. What a great thing to put on LinkedIn. Um, and, and maybe it even gives you some other opportunities as well. And we'll talk about conflicts of interest uh, in a minute. But just generally speaking, you know, in, in, in your mind, is it, is it worth running for office to help your career? Uh, to me, No. Um, I, there's different opinions on this, obviously. I, right. I think it's worth running for office if you want to invest yourself in something and you want to learn uh, a different perspective. Uh, sure, I'm sure, I, I am sure there are examples of people who've gone into politics and their career has blossomed as a result. Um, but at the local level, right, to me, I want... I want counterparts on council. I want counterparts on, on the county commission that are dedicated to making the place that we live a better place, right? And they, they come with um, a desire to invest their time and their resources and their energy um, in making those decisions that are never easy. Um, and that's a much better motivator to me than someone who's there for for them. Um, this is about, um, it's about a group. It's about, a you know, a, building consensus amongst people that don't necessarily uh, always see eye to eye and understanding nuances of issues and finding 
um, ways to come to agreements. Like it, it, that's what it's about. It's not about um, you know personal personal gain. Darshan, how about how about you? Um, if if somebody's thinking about running for office because they think it would help them, it would help them personally or from a from a, a business perspective, is is it is it worthwhile to have that thought process? Uh, I think that is probably the biggest myth besides go to law school um, that I uh, have heard with with respect to uh, public office. You do it because you want you know you want to serve and you have a heart for service. Um, but I, I will tell you personally, one of the biggest, uh, most helpful things that I pieces of advice that I got before I entered the legislature or that sworn into the legislature came from my predecessor who was a lawyer legislator. And uh, for those that don't know, um, lawyer legislators, lawyer legislators are a dying breed. When I first got into office, we were um, about almost 25% of the electorate, I mean, of the general assembly, and now we're down to about 17. Um, so you might think that's good or bad, but it is what it is. You're a dying breed in, in the general assembly, whereas historically we have uh, we had much better numbers. So, so this lawyer legislator um, said it and put it ever so succinctly, and, and every it has been every bit of truth. He said, "It's not a matter of if you will lose revenue and income in this position; it's a matter of how much." Okay. And every time a lawyer legislator thinks that they're thinking about running for office, um, even if they have pure motives, I always give them the same advice. Your revenue and your income will go down. It's not a matter of if it's going to go down. The matter is, the question is how much. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that we are, you know, essentially engaged in policy making for the first four months of the year, right? Um, but then there's also, um, you know, possible conflicts of interest, particularly if you work with bigger firms that might come about. Um, people think we just work four, four months out of the year, but I can tell you that I work no less than about 20 hours outside of session a week on legislative stuff. Um, so, you know, you can, you can be one of those legislators that just shows up and doesn't file anything and navigate anything and just collect a check. I mean, that is, you know, as long as you show up and vote for the budget, constitutionally, you've done what it is that you're required to do under the Constitution. Um, but most people, you know, don't want to do that and they want to get reelected. So it does become uh, a full-time plus job during the session. And then the other part of the uh, time we're out is, is more of a part-time job. Um, so I would caution anybody who thinks this is going to it's gonna raise your, your brand uh, for sure. But if you think that is going to translate to dollars, uh, I would just be cautious about thinking that going to have a correlation. So, so Darshan, you brought something up that I want to I want to jump on because I think it, it makes sense to talk about here, and it's another critical question we've got to cover. Which is, I, I have to imagine there are many opportunities, particularly in your position, for a conflict of interest to arise. How do you manage that? Well. Um, so it, it actually is not as much of a conflict as you would think. So, so because we're a citizen legislator, right? Um, everybody knows we have full time jobs and we have to work. 
So if I worked for a bigger firm and I uh, had a, uh, you know, a client uh, of the firm that was advocating for a deal, that would be a fair for a conflict of uh, right there. But because I'm um, a solo and because I am an attorney, you know, constitutionally, nobody can prevent me from practicing law because that's my law degree, right? Um, so I, you know, I consult on, you know, uh, new deals that we pass and, thing, and things like that because that's literally my job um, as a lawyer. Um, but there are some times when the legislature will specifically put into legislation that uh, we can't engage in particular things, particularly AC three twenty four, which is our cannabis bill that we passed uh, for the manufacturing and growing of cannabis. I have never, in my nine years of being down there, seen legislation that specifically puts in um, what I call a, uh, a poison pill, um, in that it, it specifically prohibits um, legislators, former and current legislators, from investing in the cannabis business past 5% of, of, of an investment. Um, and that was put in there for a long drawn out reason that I know about. But anyway, it, it, it does prohibit. So, for example, I started an investment group um, that is going to participate in investing in um, the supply chain for, for cannabis. Well, I started the group, but I only serve as general counsel. I'm not, you know, investing into it. I'm not putting any money into it. I'm not, uh, you know, uh, having any input on the, the pitch process and the investment process. Um, just because there is that prohibition in there, and I don't want to be on the front page of the AJC. So there are times when the conflict is written into, into, into uh, either the law or our state bar rules prohibit us from engaging in it, um, but because, I'm, you know, it's literally my profession, um, I'm, I'm generally allowed to you know, practice law and get advice, even though I might vote on different people. So, Colin, I'm going to ask you a, 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 a different question as we uh, head to the end here. Um, how does working, you know, how does sort of having a, a a job and doing what you do alongside being a city councilman inform how you vote and how you propose and pursue policy? It's a good question. Um, so how does having a job help inform policy? Um, I mean, so I'm an, I'm an entrepreneur turned academic, right? My, my day job is, is down at, at Georgia tech. Um, as such, I get access to um, a ton of people who are really smart in any given field. You know, we're very fortunate to have a uh, a school of city and regional planning that is really good at pumping out good planners. Um, there's people down there that I can learn from uh, on a technical topic. Um, there's there's a there's a there's a balance there, right? There's obviously people with deep expertise that we can learn from and and turn that into uh, into knowledge that informs policy. Um, there's also a balance of, um, you know, when I'm at Georgia Tech, my my Georgia Tech hat is on, um, and when I go uh, go off the clock there and go to City of Woodstock, my City of Woodstock hat has to be on. Um, so I, I 
It's a great question. For local policy, it's different, I think, because local policy is often about things like uh, sign code or zoning regulations or, um, you know, it, it gets into the minutiae really fast. And it's not necessarily directly, you know, directly the same thing that I deal with at, at Georgia Tech. So, you know, I've got all sorts of ideas on, on entrepreneurship policy or policy that could uh, could impact that world, the professional world um, that I deal with. But it, it's not the same scale of of policy that we deal with at the city level so if, if i'm understanding correctly in reality you you're kind of in two parallel worlds that don't necessarily meet a whole lot they don't meet a whole lot okay we are uh running out of time here uh and i want to thank you both so much for for joining us um we could talk a lot longer about this but uh, uh we have to let you get back to serving your constituents how uh, Darshan, how can people contact you if they if they maybe may have an interest in running for office and want to learn more about it and why to do it, maybe why not to do it? Yeah, sure. So anybody can follow me on social media. Um, beware, though, I am very vocal, so just uh, note yourself. But it's just Darshan Kendrick, D-A-R-S-H-U-N, Kendrick, K-E-N-D-R-I-C-K. On Instagram and uh, and LinkedIn and Facebook and um, and Twitter, um, so people can you know inbox me on on there. Um, I'm a millennial and I would give out my 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 cell phone number, but that might be a little dangerous. So if you can contact me on uh, social media or either uh, email me, it's just Kendrick at Kendrick for F O R Georgia GeorgiaShell dot com, then um, I will try my best to. Uh, get back with you um, if you can and see a very, very busy and short uh, Very good. And Colin, how about you? Uh, email me at cake at woodstockga.gov C-A-K-E at woodstockga.gov More than happy to, to lend some thoughts. My encouragement would be uh, find a way to get involved in your local community and, and invest your time and energy somewhere near you. Um, it doesn't have to be in elected office, but um, we need people that are engaged, that are giving back, and that are trying to make the world a better place. Okay, that's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank Darshan Kendrick and Colin Ake so much for joining us and sharing their expertise with us. We'll be exploring a new topic each week, so please tune in so that when you're faced with your next executive decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can find help them. Once again, this is Mike Blake, our sponsor is Brady Ware & Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.